0: We're turning in our Bibles this evening to the portion of Scripture we read a little earlier, the Gospel according to Matthew, the chapter 14, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14. And I want to draw your attention this evening to the verses 30 and 31, Matthew 14 and the verses 30 and 31. But before we turn to them, let's bow together in prayer. Our gracious God and eternal heavenly Father, we thank Thee, the art a God of grace, we thank thee that it matters not how far an individual may have sunk, that thou hast power to lift them. We think of how that Paul described himself as the chief of sinners, and yet there in the road to Damascus, you lifted him out of the pit of sin, and we rejoice that you set him in heavenly places in Christ. We thank the Lord, that many gather here tonight and have that same story, saved by grace, and grace alone, we pray that, as we turn to thy word, Lord, that thou wouldst give us help, help us not to complicate the gospel, but Lord, help us to set it forth in clarity. We pray for those who know thee not, Lord, touch their understanding, open their eyes that they might see, and that not only that they might see, but even this night that they might look and look unto thee and be saved. So Lord, be thy our portion. For we pray in thy name and for thy glory. Amen. Amen. Matthew's Gospel, the chapter 14, we read there in verse 30. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith. Wherefore didst thou doubt? In this chapter, we find the disciples launching out into the Sea of Galilee. It measured some thirteen miles from north to south, and it lay six hundred and eighty-six feet below sea level. Unlike the Dead Sea, its waters were pleasant to the eye, and they were filled with life. One nineteenth-century writer wrote, Its beauty was such that appeared to be let down by silver silver pulleys from heaven. However, as we come into these verses, we find the dark clouds beginning to gather, the wind sweeping over the snow-capped hills of the great Hermon. They rushed down Galilee's steep slopes. There, clashing with the hot air trapped over the lake, a violent explosion erupted transforming its still waters into a raging frenzy, its waves tossing the disciples little vessel to and fro. Fear filled every heart, struggling to keep it afloat, Peter lifting his eyes, he suddenly beheld the Lord walking towards him. He tramping the angry waves beneath his feet. Peter then stepped out of the little ship Stepping onto the angry waves and hearing the wind screaming in his ear, fear filled his heart. And beginning to doubt the Lord's power to calm the waves and his power to keep him afloat, he began to sing. And with every step, he sang deeper and deeper and deeper into the angry waves. And like Peter, because of our unbelief, we are sinking we are sinking every day deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. Indeed, the psalm becoming aware of his sin. He cried out in Psalm 69, in the verse 2, I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I am come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. And sin flooding in, his soul began to sink, and he sank deeper and deeper into sin. You see, because of our unbelief, we are not on an upward journey, but rather we are on a downward journey. Every day, every defilement brings us down, and it brings us down nearer to destruction. Realizing that, James wrote, taking up his pen, he wrote those words, I was sinking deep in sin, sinking to rise no more, overwhelmed by guilt within— Mercy I did implore. You see this evening you are not in the same position that you were a month ago. Nor are you this evening in the same position that you were a week ago. Every time you sin, every time you reject the message of the gospel, you take another step. A step downward, a step deeper into sin, a sin a step nearer Even to destruction. And you see, this evening, as you lift your eyes and you see Peter here struggling in the waters, my friend, shed no tears for him because you tonight are in a far worse position. Your soul is sinking, sinking every day, sinking deeper into sin, sinking nearer judgment and nearer destruction. And so I want this evening to consider Peter as a picture of the sinner sinking beneath the angry waves of sin. You notice firstly here the powers that swamped him, the giant waves sucking him down into their depths. They were threatening to swallow him up, their cruel jaws squeezing out his very life. You notice here the distraction he suffered. We read there in verse 30, but when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He earlier, looking beyond the angry waves, he had beheld the Savior tramping down the waves beneath his feet. However, the wind now gathering momentum and screaming across the lake like demented demons, they affected his vision Now, looking out, all that Peter could see were the waves. They distracted him so that he could no longer see the Savior. Surely, it is no coincidence that Paul, describing the devil, he describes him as the prince of the power of the air. You see, tonight, Satan seeks not only to defile you— but he is seeking to distract you. He longs to draw your eyes away from the Savior. Indeed, the angels warning Lot's wife to flee from the city of Sodom. We read in Genesis 19, verse 26, But his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. Never forget that Sodom was no ordinary city— in chapter 13, it is described there as the Garden of Eden. And as well as being a place of great beauty, it was where Lot's wife had children had been born, and where they had been married, and where her son in law still lived. And the devil, now bringing these things before her eyes, he sought to distract her. He sought to take her eyes away from the city of refuge. And foolishly, she walking his way, she looking back, she was destroyed. You see, the devil doesn't really care this evening what you think about, as long as you don't think about your soul or about the Savior. He will do anything to distract you. You know, sometimes you get gangs and they go into a shop to commit theft what they do is they they go in and they immediately divide two go to the back two to one side two to another side two stay around the door the two at the back of the shop they cause a distraction and of course the staff immediately run to see what is happening and when the staff run to see what is happening the others fill their pockets and they head out of the shop quickly often the goods are not missed even for some considerable time. And that's what the devil is seeking to do to you. He is seeking by foolish questions. He is seeking by events of life to distract you, to take your thoughts away from Christ, to take your thoughts away from your soul and from salvation. Even as you sit in this meeting tonight, perhaps you've already experienced that. You find the thoughts of tomorrow coming into your mind. You find yourself already beginning to think about what you're going to do and choose to or how you're going to solve that problem in life. And you see, tonight the devil is here, and the devil tonight he's out to distract you, he's out to get you to think about anything except Christ. My friend, don't let him distract you. Don't let him turn your thoughts away from your soul this evening. Not only the distraction, but we also notice the defeat he suffered while the Lord, crossing the sea, tramped the angry waves beneath his feet. We read concerning Peter in verse 30, But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried. Hearing the Savior crying out, come, he bravely stepped out over the side of that little ship and out onto the angry waves. And while he at first was able to tramp them down beneath his feet, his natural strength quickly became exhausted, becoming faint. He began to sink, or as the word means, he began to submerge. And no matter how hard he tried to obey the Lord's command, no matter how hard he tried to brack the grass of the waves, he could not. In fact, the harder he tried, the quicker he sank. Sank down into the angry waves. And you see, tonight, like Peter, we are not naturally powerful beings— but rather we are powerless beings. We are of ourselves unable to break the grasp of sin, or of ourselves even to come to the Savior. Indeed, the Savior answering the murmurings of the Jews, he said in John 6, verse 44, "'No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him and I will raise him up at the last day. And he reminded them that such was the depravity of their hearts that unless the Father drew them, they would not and they could not come to him. You see, when a man can stay in his soul, he cannot save his soul, he lacks that moral and spiritual power. To overcome his sin or to come to Christ. You know, Sir Edmund Hillary, after several unsuccessful attempts to climb Mount Everest, he one morning stood at his base, shaking his fist at that great mountain. He said, I defeat you yet because you're as big as you're going to get, and I'm still growing. And growing in strength and growing in wisdom, the day came when he defeated Mount Everest. However, rather than growing morally and spiritually, you are shrinking. And as a result of your, you and yourself, you can never break the grasp of your sin. In yourself, you can never come to the Lord Jesus Christ— Maybe you say, Preacher, you're wrong. I have tramped the waves of passion down. I have overcome those sins that have bound others in the past. But you notice here that while Peter, yes, at first he was able to walk on the waters, he was able to tramp the waves beneath his feet, yet there came a time A time when he could no longer trump them, no longer overcome them, but they overcame him. And yes, there is a time, perhaps, while you're able to overcome that loss, able to overcome that sin, able to overcome that temptation. But, my friend, go on rejecting Christ. And the time will come you will be no longer able to overcome it no longer able to break away, but will be bound, bound by it. Notice also the doubts he suffered, beholding the Savior's approach. We read in verse 28, And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou bid me to come unto thee in the water. In verse 25, we're told it was the fourth watch the fourth watch being between 3 and 6 a.m. It was the darkest watch of the night. And beholding the Lord coming, tramping the waves beneath his feet, the disciples looking out, they thought at first he was a ghost. And despite hearing the Savior's words, Peter still was not sure. And he said, "Here, Lord, if it be Thou. Although he had walked with the Lord and talked with the Lord, had spent many months and years in his presence, yet unbelief now filling his heart. He failed. He failed to recognize him. You see, unbelief not only defiles the soul, but it darkens the soul. It hides the Savior from view. Indeed, describing the works of the devil, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, in whom the God of this world had blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. You notice here that sin coming in, the light went out. And although they were looking upon the Savior, they failed to recognize him. Sin not only corrupts the mind, sin clouds the mind. It shuts out the light of the gospel. Some years ago, a patient in California, complaining she couldn't see ophthalmologist Cortina Cotiva, painstakingly removed one contact lens after another from her eyes. In all, she removed 23 layers of lenses. The woman not being able to see, she took a lens and she put it into her eye and she still couldn't see. Instead of taking it out, she added another and another until she had 23 lenses in her eye. But despite the fact that she had 23 lenses, yet rather than seeing better, she saw worse. And you see, every time you sin, every time you reject the gospel, is like putting another lens upon your mind. It blinds you. Why is it tonight that you feel that you're not too bad a sinner? Why is it tonight that you can see no beauty in the Lord Jesus Christ that you should ever desire him? Why is it tonight that you think, that you think that you have plenty of time to get saved? It's because, my friend, your sin has blinded you. It has blinded you. You see, every time you sin, it puts another veil over the mind so that you cannot see him, so that your mind becomes that little darker. Oh, I say to you this evening that while you are troubled, while you can see Christ, my friend, run to him, because the day may come that you'll no longer see him. Here was Peter, and he was sinking. He was sinking deeper every moment, And tonight, we see in him a picture of you. You're not saved. You're sinking. Sinking deeper in sin. Not only do we notice the powers that swamped him, but we notice also here the prayer that saved him. He now realizing that he was between three to four miles from the shore, Peter lifting his voice, he began to pray. You notice there the strength of his prayer— my, we read in verse 30, But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, see of me. Peter was by profession a fisherman. Having spent years on these waters, he knew how dangerous they could become. In verse 24, we're told there that the ship was tossed. The word literally means tormented. And having struggled for six long hours against these waves, Peter now was physically exhausted, knowing that he could never swim to the shore and feeling the waters now about his very neck. He lifted his voice and he cried unto the Lord. It was a cry. It was a cry from the very depths of his heart. You see, it's a poor prayer that only has words. The cry that saves is a cry that comes from the heart. Indeed, the prophet said in Jeremiah twenty-nine, thirteen, and ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. It was only when they would seek him with all of their heart that they would find him. It is only the prayer that comes from the heart that can touch the heart of God. And as such, it is better in prayer to have heart and no words than to have words and no heart way back in June 1998, the BBC reported, a Vietnamese girl has been born with two heads, two hearts, and two spines. And sadly, there are many today, and they seek God with a double heart. They seek God partially with their heart, but at the same time, they are depending upon their works. They are looking to some other source for their salvation. But listen, my friend, until you lift up your heart and you cry to God with all of your heart, there can be no salvation. The hymn writer said, Lord, deny me what thou wilt. Only ease me of my guilt. Suppliant at thy feet I lie. Give me Christ or else I die. And until you come to that place in life where you recognize that there is no other hope, and you're lifting your eyes, and you're looking only to Christ, and you're looking to him with all of your heart, there is no hope. You see, my friend, if you're going to be saved, you need to cry like the drowning man. That man recognizes There's nothing he can do. That man recognizes he's going to be dead in a few moments, and he cries. He cries with all of his heart. He cries with all of his being. And if you're to be saved this evening, that's the way you need to pray. You need to look to him, and you need to look to him alone. Not only the strength, but you notice also the selfishness of his prayer. Sinking, we read in verse 30— And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. Sinking down beneath the angry waves, Peter was not the only one in danger. While the rest of the disciples were there in the boat, yet that little boat was being tossed to and fro. The waves like sledgehammers, smashing against its sides, its seals and its timbers were being ripped apart. And although their vessel was now taking in water, yet Peter lifting his voice rather than praying, Lord, Lord, save John. Or Lord, save my brother Andrew. He prayed, Lord, save me. He was only concerned about himself. And then in this instance, it was the difference between life and death. You see, the prayer that saves is a selfish prayer. It is a prayer that is first and only concerned about itself. Indeed, that great earthquake shaking the jailhouse in Philippi, the jailer suddenly awakened. Fearing for his life, he cried out in Acts 16 and the verse 30, Sirs, what must I do to be him?" We find this same jailer later taking Paul to his home, introducing his wife and his family to Paul. And yet now in this moment, lifting up his voice, he doesn't pray for them. He says, what must I? What must I? do to be saved. You see, your prayer for others will avail nothing until you pray for yourself. You need tonight to cry for your own soul. Sometimes people will come to you and they say, Preacher, I'm concerned. I'm concerned for my wife. I'm concerned for my children. They're going out into the world. They're indulging in things that I'm not happy about, and I don't want to see them lost. And yet they themselves are not saved. That's like a drowning man seeking to save his drowning wife. And what happens? Both of them struggling. They both will drown. If he's going to save his wife, he needs to firstly be saved himself. And being rescued, then he can throw out the lifeline. He can seek to rescue his wife. And my friend, while you're not saved, there is no point in you tonight praying, Lord, save my wife, or save my children, or save my grandfather. Because while you may be praying that prayer, you are by your example teaching them not to get saved. You're teaching them to put off their salvation because that is what you are doing it's good to have others praying for you but you need to pray you need to come to that place where you cry Lord Lord save me save me Lord I'm sinking I'm being lost save me not only the selfishness, but notice the season of his prayer. Verse 30, And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. You see, when he lifted his voice and he prayed this prayer, he was already sinking. Time was short. In a few moments, the waves would encompass him. And I tell you tonight that your case is even more urgent the Lord says, my spirit shall not always strive with man. He will not always be pleading with you. You see, my friend, you can put off your soul salvation too late. Oh, why the Lord is drawing near, Why he is beside you, cry unto him for salvation. Notice the success of his prayer, verse 31, And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him. There was no delay. No sooner did Peter lift his voice than the Lord seized him and saved him. And you see, tonight, the Lord, rather than rejecting the call of sinners, he receives them. He says, I will in no wise cast out. Oh, I know you can go out into the world tonight and you'll find man and woman in the depths of sin, men and women in the depths of despair. And they'll say, when I came to man, man did not want to know. When I knocked on the doors of institutions that were designed or set up to help me, the door was shut in my face. But one thing you'll never find, you never find a man a woman or boy or girl who cried unto Christ save me, whom he did not save. Oh, Peter realized he was sinking. My friend, do you realize you're sinking tonight? Do you realize your soul is in danger tonight? Then Christ saved me. Not only the powers that swamped him and the prayer that saved him, but there was the person that seized him, the Lord taking his hand—notice here it was a conquering presence. Verse 32, And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. The Lord taking his hand, we find them then walking back to the ship. And with Christ by his side, he was now able not only to walk in the waves, but he was able to tramp these angry, controlling waves down beneath his feet. You see, in Jesus Christ, there is not only pardon, but there is power. Power over the world, over the devil, over the flesh. John, taking up his pen, he said in 1 John 5, verse 4, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. You see, in the new birth, we receive a new tenant, the Spirit of God taking up residence within our heart. There is no enemy, there is no problem that we cannot overcome. Maybe you say, Preacher, I'd love to get saved, but you don't know my life. You don't know the problems, you don't know the temptations that will come, and I haven't been able to resist. Not in yourself, you can never resist. But, my friend, with Christ, with Christ, you can overcome. With Christ, you can trample those lusts. You can trample those desires beneath your feet. It not only was a conquering presence, it was a calming presence. Verse 32, And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. The one ceased. There was suddenly calm in the lake. You see, as well as possessing the life, Christ brings peace to the life. He calms the storms. Charles Wesley, taking up his pen, wrote, I rest beneath the almighty shades. My griefs expire, my troubles cease. Thy Lord, in whom my soul has stayed, will keep me still in perfect peace. To the storms of guilt, rage in your heart, and in your life, are you unable to sleep at night? My friend, only Christ can calm the storms. Only He can bring a stillness upon the heart and the life. More than that, it was a continuing presence. Verse thirty-four. And when they were gone over, they came into the land of Gennesaret, coming into the ship. The Lord remained with them until he came to the end of the journey. You see, Christ's presence is not just a coming presence. It's a continuing presence. He will never leave you, nor forsake you. And maybe you say tonight, I'd love to get saved, but there's troubles, there's difficulties. There's things I'll have to face. There's workmates that will confront me tomorrow. But my friend, if you come to Christ, you'll not be in your own. The Lord will go with you, and he will travel with you to the journey's end. He travel with you till he brings you to that golden shore where there is no more devil and no more temptations. My, hear the way the disciples, they boarded the ship, the sun was shining. The sea was as calm as glass. And then all of a sudden, the storm began to blow. In a few moments, they who had been basking and singing in the sunshine were struggling for their lives. How quickly circumstances changed. And I tell you this evening, how quickly... How quickly circumstances change. One moment we can be drifting along, the sun, as it were, shining upon us, everything bright, everything good. But in a moment that can all change. In a moment the storms of death and judgment can begin to blow. And I wonder, my friend, what thought, what preparation have you made for that? What if your circumstances tonight were to suddenly change? Are you ready? Are you ready to meet God? Are you ready to stand before the judgment throne? Oh, while the Lord is near like Peter, rise up, go to him. Go to him. And my friend, cry, Lord, Lord, save me. And if you do, I can assure you, he'll save you tonight. He'll save you. I trust if you have not experienced his saving power that you'll trust him and experience it this evening.